fast forward to kind of launching two years later in one product in one size, having put my life savings in with the tattoo on my arm and uh, full time on it. So it, I just, yeah, I, I, I guess I, it was just a slow uncovering of, oh my God, I really love this. Oh my God, I want to at least get this onto a shelf. That was the goal. Just okay. see it through, get it on a shelf. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast, and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. Trust me, I'm still there. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like you. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours you can spend nailing a client pitch, serving your customers, or honing your craft. From building, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments. FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. It's also super easy to get up and running, and the award-winning FreshBooks support team is always available to answer your questions. Try FreshBooks free for 30 days. No credit card is required. Just go to freshbooks.com forward slash just do it to get started today and get more time back to building the business that you love. Okay, so welcome to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and I'm joined today by Ben Branson. So Ben is the founder of Seedlip, a nature company that makes drinks, including the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirits, which are available in, correct me if I'm wrong, 40 plus countries and served in the world's best bars, restaurants, hotels and retailers. Named as one of the top 100 most influential figures by Drinks International, top 50 most influential people in food and drink by The Telegraph. And I like this one, the 12th coolest person in food and drink. We'll, we'll get to who's number one uh, by Business Insider. Um, and described, um, just, uh, Clip described as like going to a hooker for a hug. It's the best quote that somebody... I can't remember their name, put out on Twitter. Was it on Twitter? Yeah, okay. and I'm not on Twitter, but for some reason I was searching Seedlip on there and just came across that tweet and was just like, this is a genius. Who has, who has said this? This is brilliant. <laughs> he needs a shout out, doesn't he, really? And hookers do need hugs. They do, they do. Correct, we'll get to that. Um, you also founded Acorn Aperitifs with the wonderful Claire Warner, twice guest on this show and whose podcast uh, we've produced as well. And you're also a founding member of Birch, named Sunday Times and the Times Hotel of the Year 2020, and a founding member of the uh, Homegrown club a club helping uh, those who are starting up their business it's a pretty good intro thank you <laughs> <laughs> so look before we chat about seedlip i'd love to find out a little bit more about your background and how you may have ultimately helped lead you to where you are now so um tell me about your family's history of working with the land um and i understand that goes back quite a few hundred years so what was childhood memories like what was growing up like for for ben 
Yeah, so my family have been farming about 320 years now, which is like nine generations of uh, farming history, uh, which is awesome and really proud of that. It's not easy, uh, agriculture and kind of arable farming these days, but it meant that childhood was kind of countryside and I guess our my brothers, two two younger brothers I had growing up, all quite close in age. So it was that sort of, I don't know, whether it's building tree houses, booby traps, bows and arrows, playing around in tractors, horses. It was that sort of, you know, mum kick us out in the morning. Uh, you know, the bell rings for lunch, kick back out, come back in at tea time. Um and I guess what I've taken from that is I definitely, I was definitely exposed to seeing hard work, mm-hmm. you know, from my grandfather, my uncle, um, especially, and just how it's hard to work with the land. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was good. I got a good grounding of, you know, you see the bag of potatoes in the kitchen, you see the chips on your plate that mum's cooked and you kind of understand how they've got from the field to the table that was important i didn't probably appreciate that as much you know as in the last sort of 10 15 years and then my dad is in the world of brand design ah yeah i didn't know okay so c-lip literally is a product of my upbringing in terms of mum and the farming side and then dad and the design side and i was quite like farming growing up i was to be honest, it was sort of quite a, I don't know, being at school with other kids and, you know, parents who are, I don't know, lawyers or bankers or um, property developers or stuff. I was kind of like, oh, yeah, we're, we're a farming family. That's that's quite low down the food chain. You know, that's it's quite humble, kind of mm. simple, you know, life. Dads and I, you know, soundtracked us during the school holidays and got stuck in, but dad's work I always have more questions about I was always more what are you working on Mm. where are you traveling to what projects are going on you know standing in a supermarket is like an art gallery you know um so yeah both that was all quite formative and my childhood and my memories of the farm and the land definitely informed the blends and informed um, Seedlip, yeah, in a big way. And does your mum still work the land? Do they still farm that side of the family? Yeah, we still okay. farm. So my uncle now kind of is in charge of the farms across Lincolnshire and Yorkshire. Um, and, you know, first four years of, of Seedlip, we were hand-picking peas from the farm as a team, 90-minute uh, peas, so field to freezer in 90 minutes. Um and yeah, we'd pick what we needed for the year, and they would then be distilled into Seedlip Garden. And and did um, going slightly off piste already here, standard. <laughs> um, did the name Seedlip, which I've which I've read about, did that come directly from working on the land in those? Yeah, yeah okay. I, I I remember. I you know, naming like is a for anyone that started a business is a really horrible, fragile, <laughs> terrible process. And I'd done naming pro. You know, I went into design agencies and. I did naming projects for clients and it's a horrible process. Um, so when it came to naming Seedlip, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of headaches and just, but I went home and I was speaking to my gran about what it was like when we started farming, just kind of not because I wanted a name, but just because I thought I'd ask her. And she talked about these baskets that we used to use that she was told about um called seed lips and by that time i'd become pretty obsessed with doing very random things like visiting all the botanical gardens in england and scotland and seeing a brown sign for a farming museum you know off an a road and going and seeing it i got to know this lady who was the director of baskets at the museum of english rural life in reading which i really recommend going um it's a tiny little museum, but they've got 12 seed lips. Right. Uh, and I bought two off eBay and I it just started to kind of fit 
mm. with a nod to my family's background and then literally how we make the product taking it from seed to lip so mm. yeah it was a it was a good one yeah i love that taking the product from seed to lip that's super cool um and what led you to to working in, in brand design and then as an innovation consultant? Because I think it's for, like, for about a decade, am, am I right? Um, because both innovation and brand seem at the very core of what makes Seedlip successful. Yeah, I I mean, I left school. I left school when I was 18. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I, I just kind of got stuck in. So I did everything from... <laughs> uh, I was a security guard for Securicore, um, trying to chaperone people like Prince Charles. I mean, I'm and I'm not a big guy, you know. Like it was silly me being a security guard. Neither Secur- was a bit like the Rock. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I sold British Gas door to door and managed to do that for about four or five months. That was really yeah hardcore door to door selling mm. gas. I think I lasted a day doing that yeah, once. Difficult. <laughs> uh, I worked in a pub. I did some landscape gardening. I studied at Prue-Leith Cooking School because I, I liked cooking. I liked flavor. I liked ingredients. Um, and then I worked my way around the world for two years uh, doing fire shows in Thailand, fire breathing and fire sticks. And then I went and became a snowboard instructor in New Zealand for nine months and taught kids how to snowboard, which was great. And then Did I went, you? Yeah. That's my favourite thing in the whole world, oh, snowboarding. Great, isn't it? If I had 30 minutes left on earth, what would you do? <laughs> I'll go and snowboard. That's nice. I like that. <laughs> and then I went to Africa and, um, and taught kids over there for six months in Botswana. And so, and then I came back and I kind of went into the design world um, and, yeah, enjoyed working with big companies, startups, uh, creating brands, repositioning brands. Um, it gave me a great, I guess, understanding and preparation for creating my own. Mm. But also it gave me just, you know, I'm I'm kind of forever curious and dissatisfied. So it, it gave me a really good outlet to kind of observe people and what makes them tick and buy things and choose things. Mm. Um, yeah, it was it was a really helpful process. And what could Seedlip have been called then? Can you remember? So I, I'm not a massive fan of research and you know focus groups and I, I kind of you know I didn't taste anybody on Seedlip. Uh, the first person that tried Seedlip really outside of me was the buyer at Selfridges. So I didn't do you know I spent two years creating the product but i didn't go and kind of i didn't even go and test it with family and friends did you know no no way i was probably i don't really know why thinking back but i was kind of like i'm just going to take this massive risk and if Mm. if dawn at selfridges if she loves it then that's really all that counts um so i but where where naming came into it i got down to 10 names and i wrote little concept boards and put mood boards together to try and help give the name a bit of context because they're really fragile things when they're just words mm. um sent it out to 50 people uh friends family some people i'd met in the industry and just asked them to vote basically uh and see <laughs> see lib didn't win um but i still chose it but <laughs> the word evelo one i can't it's a latin word um probably something around pure or nature yeah. Um, but everybody mentioned Seedlip as like, there's something quite interesting about it. Mm. Uh, and it's two words that we know, Seed and Lip, you put them together. Um, yeah, it just, it sparks something in people. Mm. I often say that to people we, we, when we help them launch their own podcast and it's like they're trying to come up with a name. I was like, quite good to get, you know, your audience involved and take them on, on that journey so that when you do release it, they all feel feel part yes. of it and i was like so you know post up some different names or some different design concepts on social media and i always remember someone saying but they've picked one that i i hate i was like okay but they don't know not everybody knows that that's the most popular one you can still go with the one you do you're missing the point of what i'm yes he's like yes. me to do yeah <laughs> yeah they are um it's a really it's a really tricky thing 
It is. Um, and look, I, I love history, studied that uni, still spend my time reading historical fiction and watching documentaries. Um, and I'd love for you to share what led you to the non-alcoholic remedies documented in the art of distillation, which I believe was published all the way back in 1651. Yeah. How did you stumble on that? I wish I brought, I've, I've got a copy from 1664 and I missed the fact that we were on video, otherwise I would have brought it, wow. Alex. Uh, it doesn't really leave the house much, but um, this came through really a process of, uh, you know, you walk into supermarkets and there's that kind of section of fresh herbs and it's the same ones that we know of chives and rosemary and dill and basil and, you know, you buy a pot plant and it dies four days later and you wonder why and then you find yourself back in the in the supermarket and you're cooking that pasta dish and you go, oh, some fresh basil would be really nice and you buy another one and the same thing <laughs> happens. Yeah. And I was kind of just like, wow, why, why are there so few? Like I'd learned that there are 47,000 edible plants in the world and we're reduced, you know, we're sort of reduced to these seven or eight. Yeah. And so I was like, I wonder what we must have lost and forgotten mm. ingredients. So, I, you know, get on the internet and start. I started uncovering this kind of the world of botanicals and herbs and spices. And having grown up learning about <laughs> barley and potatoes, turnips and peas, this was like, oh my God, what an incredible world. I love history as well. So, sort of ingredients, history, nature, all coming together, just sent me down this rabbit hole. Mm. And, you you know, we've all been there, I guess, click on a few Wikipedia links and half an hour later, you're kind of like, fuck, I was just sorry for swearing. <laughs> I was just kind of looking at that and now I'm off over here. And I came across all these sort of old documents, herbal remedies, and was led to somebody had scanned in a copy of this book called The Art of Distillation. And if you Google the art of distillation PDF, you'll find what I found. And in that, I was like, wow, there were 200 ingredients mentioned in here. There's loads of drawings and illustrations of distillation. And they were making medicine and using distillation as a method of extraction to make remedies, some of which were alcoholic. And as I learned in this book, some of which were non-alcoholic. Mm. And, you know, I... I've got a lab at home and I've got a little carpentry studio and we've got a uh, pottery wheel and, you know, microscope for the kids. And I like arts and crafts and I like doing things mm. and working with my hands. So you get on the internet, you can buy a little copper still, um, you know, for less than a hundred pounds. And I just took some herbs from my garden and I started playing around with no aim or ambition in mind. I just wanted to see if I could do it and um, just thought it'd be fun to do evenings and weekends. And that, yeah, that the snowball kind of started from there, really. Um, but I went to see, I mean, the copy that we have is by far and away the most expensive book, you know, I've ever bought. Um, but I've had the kind of honour, I guess, of being able to go to the British Library and see the original copy, right. which is King George III. He was a great collector of wow. curio books. Mm. And when he died, his collection was given to the British Library. So they've they've got it in there. You go through a few passport security checks. And then I was expecting that, you know, I'd be taken into a little room and someone would come in with the gloves and, <laughs> yeah. you know, put this, this kind of tomb down. You walk up to the, you walk. I mean, it's a library. You walk up to the counter with your ticket. You hand the ticket over to somebody. They go into the back, and as if it's like a magazine or a daily newspaper, just hand it over to you. No way. And it's like nearly four hundred years old. It's nearly four hundred years old. You're in absolute silence because you're in the British Library. And I remember so clearly just walking to find a pillow where you can lay them out. Just thinking, Christ, I'm. You know, I'm holding this little little treasure um so yeah it's a great book it then also was something that claire and i referred back to uh in creating acorn mm. um and yeah it's just it's amazing that they were they were making all these these remedies and using herbs and spices you know hundreds of years ago and to bring that forward to being something relevant that that people kind of can choose and drink now is yeah i really like i love that because like, as you say you you go into 
there are other supermarkets going to like a co-op and you've literally got three herbs you go into waitress you might get seven or eight but that's still it yeah <laughs> you've just got to grow your own sage or you know whatever it might be yeah or baking at christmas doing these you know these sausage rolls that i make with sage and apple and mustard and um it's like you literally go to waitress and it's like hey literally nothing yeah 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 who and has it <laughs> exactly exactly and obviously dried you can get you know all year mm. round but um yeah fresh yeah my i've got a little like herb garden at home one for culinary one for medicinal you know i've got this wormwood nice. this wormwood that just smells exactly like coca-cola it's no is yeah is absolutely um yeah it's beautiful but yeah mm. there's there's so much diversity and variety within the kind of plant kingdom uh, for flavour that we've just only kind of scratched the surface off. Mm. Have you been to, um, just because I've just been there as well, again, it's one of my favourite places to, to to eat or drink, the pig? Yes. Okay, with, with their own gardens and everything sourced within like 25 miles, love it. Yeah, yeah. it's a great concept mm. and yeah, obviously local is local is great and a, and a way forward and yeah, restaurants and places like the pig that uh are growing their own is yeah it's great because it's hot you know we grow some of our own fruit and veg and it's it's hard yeah you know it is it's hard work mm. okay so to go from that tome that you've that you found to um getting your own still playing around with you know botanicals um talk me through the process that you went then from deciding that, right, I'm actually going to build a business here and sell some stuff. Yeah, it was, um, I guess it was very gradual, number one. There was no like, oh, my God, there's a business in this or, mm. oh, my God, there's a gap in the market. Um, it kind of was a period of just me playing around and I guess gradually unbeknownst to me at the time, starting to fall absolutely head over heels in love with this opportunity to express myself um, in and learn about things that really sat true with me and just gave me this outlet of kind of creativity and experimentation and, uh, yeah, from just mucking around, you know, evenings and weekends it was really going out for a meal in London, uh, you know, which I, I don't do very often, but was doing and was going to be driving home and getting served this absolute monstrosity of a pink, <laughs> fruity, sweet, horrible Ah, uh, yeah, mocktail. I read that story. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then that kind of, you know, then the dots just starting to sort of slowly join of this is this is a really poor option this doesn't fit anything and it, I don't want another one. I feel like an idiot. Maybe I'm not alone in that. Maybe there's something in what I'm doing at home. Maybe I could work with the farm. Maybe I could work with my dad. You know, maybe I could find a way to bring all this together. Mm. But I'm running my own design agency and that's a that was a couple of years old. That was busy mm -hmm. um, and I was enjoying it. And so Seedlip initially was going to be a side project. It was going to be a bit of fun to be honest to like make some liquids choose you know design my own brand maybe take it to a local farmer's market mm -hmm. um and originally i was going to do five products in two sizes <laughs> <laughs> um, we launched uh, i was going to do five products in two sizes it was going to take six months and it was all going to be you know it's going to cost no money and it was just going to be on the side uh fast forward to kind of launching two years later in one product in one size having put my life savings in with the tattoo on my arm and uh full time on it so it i just yeah i i guess i it was just a slow uncovering of oh my god i really love this oh my god i want to at least get this onto a shelf that was the goal. Just okay. see it through, get it on a shelf. Had lots of ideas before, never done anything with them, helped other people with their ideas, 
uh, but then they go and execute them. <laughs> you know, just wanted to finish something, and finish was yeah, get it on the shelf. <laughs> and, and what did it feel like the first time you saw it on a shelf? You know, driving, uh, packing out the back of the car, getting the first invoice from Selfridges, packing out the back of the car, driving into London. And when you deliver stuff, self, you know, you go down into the basement and I parked in the wrong place and I didn't have the right high-vis jacket on. <laughs> and then walking through like the tunnels of Selfridges, you know, carrying boxes and then going and putting them on the shelf was just a massive release, I think. It yeah. was just a, you know, a kind of bit of a chance to breathe. But then I stood there every day for three weeks and sampled and sampled and sampled and talked to the public for the first time and learn a bit of how to talk about it and learn that people really didn't care about how clever I thought I'd been distilling something. <laughs> Did it, does it taste good or not, basically? Does it taste good? And, oh, right, now you're talking to me about how rubbish orange juice is or, you know, a fizzy water. Okay, like, talk to me about that. Don't I can't care less about... <laughs> your clever distillation and you know i don't really care about that. that um does it taste nice yeah. let me try it and when do i drink it and how do i drink it um so yeah it was good selfridges were yeah they're such an incredible platform to launch new weird businesses mm. you know um so yeah that was sort of fond memories but also yeah it was a one-man band i was doing everything and um yeah that was pretty stressful I was gonna. That was literally my next question. Was it still just you at this point in time? It was. Yeah, I mean, I counted because I sent, I sent, I made fifty postcards or fifty prints actually of the fox illustration that we have on Seedlip Spice. Mm. Um, and it, we that's did, my favourite one, by the way. Great. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> the first, the first one. Um, and with these weird delusions of grandeur, you know, I signed every one and sent them to the fifty people that I counted had been involved in actually helping Seedlip launch. Uh, okay. And that's the guys that made the bottles, the labels, the lawyers that helped with the trademark. You know, it's, it really is like a village, even though I was the only one that was taking all the risk and the only one that was on it full time. So many people in the industry uh, were helpful. Mm. Um, you know, lady who helped me understand what the hell a value chain was, you know, finance people who helped teach me about Excel and a P&L and learned that, oh my God, I absolutely love numbers and Excel and spreadsheets. So yeah, it was a, it was sort of a lot of people helping and then just me, the only idiot that um, <laughs> the buck stopped with, as it were. <laughs> and um, you mentioned tattoo before, so was that the name that you got? Tattoo? I got the crest. Uh, uh, yeah, I've got the crest tattooed on my arm. I've got the acorn crest tattooed on my arm. Um, very cool. But the guy, this this guy in China, bartender, um, who's got the seed lip fox tattooed on his arm. He? Yeah, he, he wow. kind of takes the biscuit, really. That's, um, yeah, he picked me up from the airport in Shanghai and pretended to be a taxi driver. No. And started taking his clothes off in the car. And I was like, what what the hell is going on here? Um and he's like, I just, I, I heard you were coming in. I, I know you're doing a launch party. I wanted to show you I've got the fox tattooed on my arm. And it's big, you know, it's like a proper tattoo. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was, uh, but but to me, getting the tattoo was like, well, I've got to do it now. Yeah, you know? I get that. I've yeah. got to do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was good. And and family's reaction? What was my dad? My dad, dad <clears throat> I think when I first spoke to him, he was probably a bit like, here's another of Ben's harebrained ideas. Uh, okay, Ben, um, kind of keep going. And, you know, I I didn't want to go to my dad and go, hey, dad, you've got a design agency. Do you want to do the work? Um, mm. I was really clear that, you know, I developed this brief and I took it to a stage where it kind of needed some, as I call it, digital design, you know, not pen and paper and uh and sketches and i i said to my dad i'm i'm gonna go and approach these two agencies who i think are brilliant both who are competitors <laughs> of his oh. and he 
he just turned around to me and was like, well, actually, we quite like to have a look, you know, can you send us the brief as well? Um, and so, you know, dad ended up becoming a shareholder and continued to work with Pearl Fisher, worked with them on Acorn. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's been a, it's, it's been amazing awards and not everything, but to stand on stage with your dad at a design awards where their awards for the effectiveness, the impact, the commercial kind of results of great brand design and to win gold and go up with your dad and celebrate that together. Yeah, really special. I bet. I bet. And, and who did the actual designs, the original designs at the time? Was that your dad or was that someone within? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, two ladies have been absolutely integral at, from New York, Sissy and, and Pre, who've done, you know, just beautiful mastery work um on f bringing kind of flora and fauna together mm. and the six key ingredients in the shape of you know animals you'd find on my farm that were all given their latin names in the same year by the same man you know yeah a lot of detail ancestors initials hidden in there mm. claire's initials are hidden in you know one of the moths of on oh. acorn yeah real depth yeah and it's something that everybody that i know um, who's drunk one of those products mentioned straight away and just spends time gazing at the bottle. Yeah, it's it, it kind of, I know at the beginning it was going to be, and it still is really important that, you know, I see that it sits on the back bar. It sits amongst all these incredible premium spirits. Mm. Um, it's got to stand up and be counted. Um, great point. And mm. yes, you've got to make a great product, of course, but when people are shopping with their eyes uh yeah a, a new category and a new product kind of needs to stand up for itself and and um and cut through or at least be counted as to be taken seriously mm, that's, um, that's a good point just like visually behind the bar when you think of you got like a bombay sapphire you've got like a Cointreau or something that really distinct bottles and really distinct colors Malibu, don't know where that came from, but yep. there you go. Yep. Yeah, they are. <laughs> there are when you when you stand and gaze at a back bar, there are all kinds of shapes and colours and, and sizes and you know, subconsciously our eyes are drawn and we're drawn to the familiar things and the things that stand out. Mm. You know, I, I love spotting the kind of S shape of one of the seed lip animals from a distance. It's yeah, it's still really exciting. And was that really important with, with Acorn as well, that there was a continuity as part of the experience? Yeah, okay. I, I think, you know, a new category like non-alcoholic mm. drinks um, that hasn't been really taken very seriously, um, yeah, and needs premium, sophisticated options that fit well in an adult occasion and can happily sit alongside all the iconic, amazing alcoholic spirit brands. Um, yeah, Acorn was again another opportunity to sort of join that community, as it were, mm. and just go, okay, ignore the alcohol content for a second. Yeah. Great, iconic, well-made, high-quality brands um, are what people are increasingly choosing as this premiumization trend and better kind of trend you know continues to gather pace mm. and you don't have to go back that many years i think to make for example what we did on new year not my wife and i take a bottle that original bottle to a friend's uh for new for new year's eve because um he gave up alcohol two years ago because mm -hmm. he, he had to basically yeah his wife decided to you know, do do the same to support him at the time. Um, my wife and I were just driving and choosing yep. not, not to drink. And it's it's something we carry on like during I still drink alcohol, still like, you know, nice glass of red wine, still mm -hmm. like a, a cold beer. But during the week, and it was it was a lot of acorn aperitifs during during the week and then like seed lip as well, like I say, with that in New Year. But it's not that many years you'd have to go back that people didn't do that take a bottle around like that no chance mm. i mean i think you know we launched november the 4th 2015 and 
there was just there were no menus there were no you know you could get kind of beck's blue and maybe yeah. a couple of terrible non-alc wines i think Brewdog had just launched their non-alc beer and that was it no one was talking about it no one was asking for it it wasn't in menus it wasn't on shelves there weren't podcasts about it there wasn't press <laughs> about it you didn't have as you as it incredibly there is now social media influencers defined by their alcohol consumption or hmm. lack of in this case mm. and that is kind of like wow there are there are people out there where the fact that they don't drink alcohol or that they love non-alcoholic options is a huge part of their identity mm. from the glamorization of kind of excess alcohol you know 90 in the 90s yeah to then flipping that to completely on its head now i just think you know from a kind of social behavior and societal shifts i think is is so fascinating mm. and it's interesting like my my daughters are teenagers one's about to become a teenager so like 12 about to become 13 and the other one's 14 about to become 15 and my friends kids a little bit older like 17 16 17 18 19 20 and um the vast majority of them don't drink. They'll still go to a bar, still go clubbing now yeah. that clubs are opened again. Um, we have this, you know, these discussions frequently, but don't see any massive predilection for alcohol or drugs. Yeah. You know, whereas I go back to, again, like my childhood and like you say, the excesses, the 90s mm. going to Ibiza yeah. and all, all that kind yeah. of thing. It's phenomenal, isn't it? it like the it's, shift. It's a... And we've not really felt, you know, given that this is happening in younger consumers, right, it's going to be 10 years' time before we really see how this is going to play out. And really, yep. it all comes... The only thing I continually am interested in is how are we going to socialise? Yes. Because yep. that's that's really, you know, drinking alcohol or not alcohol is so occasion-focused and it's so sort of societally focused and geared towards that yeah i i wonder i'm i'm forever kind of thinking about how are we gonna how are we gonna socialize what will socializing be like mm. because it used to be go to the pub yeah and you go to the pub for a drink not even food and then gastro pubs happened and uh, and now you can go axe throwing, you know, in East London, you know, like, you, <laughs> let's there, go. There are different ways in which you can socialize now and do different things. And, and that experience economy is obviously, uh, yeah, just grown massively in the last 10 years. And so I, I just think it is, it's so fascinating of like, what are we going to be drinking in 10 years time? Mm. And how are, I guess, the younger generation going to socialise. Yeah. It was interesting that we were talking about like the live events that, that I used to do before. And I remember we, we used to host it. It was in the old Echo building in Bournemouth that Ted Baker founder Ray Kelvin had bought and turned half of it into like a shared office co-working space. So we used to host the events there in the old print room, which is an you know, amazing um, space. But on the corner there was a Starbucks and pre and post event used to walk past and used to notice like the um, the bars around there were quieter and the Starbucks was rammed and it was full of young people. Yeah. Teenagers, students in yeah. their 20s. And I just thought, when did this happen? Yeah. Because I never noticed it happening. Yeah. And then you like think about social clubs and working men's clubs and mm. rise of obviously coffee shops. And it used to be you go around for a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's, well, let's go for coffee. Mm. And it's not even come round for coffee, it's let's go for coffee. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, you know, for weird, like, uh, people like me that think about this kind of stuff and are just really curious about observing the way that people live their lives, um, because I don't, I'm not social and I don't like going out and I don't like seeing people. So I'm very much a voyeur of, 
I guess, societal behavior in that sense. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the shifts are profound. And you look at what's going on with cannabis in the US and how that is completely altering and leveling up how people socialize and where they go and mm. where they hang out. I just think it's... Um, yeah, I just think it is going to be so fascinating to see how this plays out. It is. And um, if I move on to, to the next bit, where I, I took my daughter to meet a friend of mine who's got a design company um, because my daughter's shown an interest in interior design. Mm -hmm. So it's like all of the, you know, YouTube or TikTok, it's all interior design, the games she plays, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then designing her own bedroom, you know, now we just kind of updated that for her. So I was like, I oh, know a friend of mine. I said, she's only, she's only young. She's only in her, you know, mid-20s. She's already lecturing at the university. She's done some amazing projects from, you know, like multi-million pound houses in like Marbella through to the nightclub in Bournemouth. So let's go and have a chat. And um, we met up just, I think, after Christmas, before Christmas. But one of the things she said she was working on was a, a no-alcohol bar in our area, which I didn't know anything about and she said it's all of the alcohol licenses for that area are full there's literally like nine bars within like walking distance you know right. about this this area and um and she said so i'm working on a, a no alcohol bar in that area and it's going to be called so bar okay <laughs> and i was like and then my wife was like would oh, you think that'll be popular i was like i think it'll be really popular i said if you've got all of those alcohol licenses full in that area that shows you that people still going to socialise. So the fact that, um, you know, people can go and just have a non-alcoholic drink, I think it would be massively popular. Yeah, I'm I'm not as convinced as you. Are you not? I'm... In the US, there are now 10 non-alcoholic bottle shops. And they've got so many, like, prohibition kind of laws and... Uh, mm. a really complex route-to-market system over there of alcohol state-by-state uh, state and government-owned route. Anyway, it's really complex, um, which means, for example, in New York, you cannot go to a shop and buy a bottle of vodka, a bottle of tonic or ginger ale, and a bottle of seedlip in the same shop. You have to go really? to a bottle shop to buy your vodka or your wine or your whiskey. And then you have to go to, I guess, a deli or a supermarket or some other kind of shop to go and buy your mixers, mm. non-alcoholic products. Uh, and so there's kind of six of these shops now in New York, which are amazing. Like there's, there's, there'll be a hundred in the next five years across the US, I'm sure. The drinking thing reminds the, the kind of, the bar side of things reminds me of should we have vegetarian and vegan restaurants yeah, yeah, yeah. or should actually it just be not not a talking point or a opportunity to exclude people of are you drinking or are you not drinking alcohol? Absolutely. Do you want meat or not meat? Mm. Just have amazing places that yep. have great options. Yeah, with great tasting food and great tasting drink. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And it does and therefore yeah. the the meat content or the dairy content or the alcohol content don't matter. Yeah. Because there's just great options. Um well and, I just saw opposite sorry to interrupt you. Uh just when you said that as we came into the studio, opposite is a pret and it says vegan pret and I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. I think they open that as a a stunt, like a bit of a stunt, like five years ago, and it did so well hmm. um, that they, yeah, they kept it going. I guess. So yeah, it's uh, there's a a bar that's open in East London that only serves cans, and I think that is absolutely fascinating as well, <laughs> isn't it? You yeah. know, of like that just flips everything on your head. You know, you go and pick up a can, you sit down and have a drink. Mm. It doesn't need. But you know, bartenders are wonderful, but don't need bartenders. No. You know, it it's like self serve bar, just to socialize. To socialize, yeah. yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and then you've got the coffee shops that now close at ten, eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, you know, yeah. you've got the coffee shops that turn into bars at sort of six p.m. Mm. and start serving cocktails and yeah, loads of blurring. Yeah, loads of blurring. Loads of blurring. Yet. Go back six years ago and there were zero 
yes. distilled non-alcoholic spirits. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, it appears they're, they're everywhere you look. We mentioned like influencers before. Influencers actually bringing out their own gin. Good vibe. Hark back to somebody from Made in Chelsea. Yeah. Um, but now I think you said in the post there's like now over 230 globally and, and on Amazon UK you can find over 2,000 non-alcoholic options on there. Um, do you think of yourself as a pioneer? I don't. I think that I feel responsible mm. in the sense of uh, not responsible for it but responsible in a kind of uh responsibility way of wanting this category to have a really bright long future and keeping the standards high and setting the benchmarks and keep pushing at that where are people going to socialize how are they going to socialize what are they going to drink um keep kind of yeah pushing at that my only aim is to stay hopefully just ahead of the trade mm -hmm. and and ahead of the consumer to be able to yeah shape i guess our part in uh having great options and a great category and people understanding what it is and being able to try it um so yeah that's the and it, and it it feels you know, I started working on CDIP in 2013, so this is like year nine or something, but it mm. it still feels like this thing is only five minutes old. Does it really? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Because I speak to other people, like, without name-checking them, they kind of come to that approaching a decade, and they're like, right, sell it. <laughs> I'm exhausted. So that's really refreshing to hear. I love that. Well, I think, you know, I we sold the majority... Uh, of CLIP to Diageo mm. back in summer of 2019. And so I'm the minority shareholder, they're the majority shareholder. Got it. And that's that's partly because I'm really good at the beginning of things. I'm really good at like 0 to 100. <laughs> I, I'm not as excited about scale. I'm not, you know, I hired people in my team that got really excited about selling lots of bottles. Mm. I only got excited about what selling lots of bottles allowed us to do Got rather it. than the selling of lots of bottles. Mm. You know, Diageo are amazing at scale. Yeah. You know, they've got big iconic brands that distributed in 180 countries. And that's how you, yeah, that, in my view, that's how you scale a, a kind of new category and a mm. brand like Seedlip. Um, so I have different responsibilities now i don't have the weight of the world of the whole business on my shoulders which can be pretty stressful and overwhelming yeah. um and so it, it sort of feels like a new chapter and a new opportunity to kind of yeah drive this thing forward now with the backing mm. to be able to hopefully make it huge and going back to selfridges initially and you made a thousand bottles yeah and you did tasting sessions for that. Um, how quickly did you sell those thousand bottles and then go, actually, I'm on something? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I got quite obsessed about forecasts and Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> and obviously, I, in my, in my naive view, whatever, however, I said it was going to go was how it was going to go. You know, yeah. my plan was the plan. So my plan was that I was going to sell a thousand bottles in five months. I was going to hire a part-time intern uh, two months after launch and they would work from my house and we wouldn't have an office or anything like that. Uh, and then at the end of that five months, I'd make another thousand bottles. And it didn't go like that. <laughs> you know, How did it go? <laughs> we sold those thousand bottles in three weeks. Um and I was getting emails from, you know, the Fat Duck or, you know, mm. the Ritz or distributor i heard from a hundred countries in the first three months wow. uh which was really overwhelming i got invited right. to buckingham palace you know it was just like what the hell is going on i've got no control over this thing so i made another thousand bottles and bearing in mind it takes sort of five six weeks to make a batch mm. um you know there was a lot of we're out of stock i'm sorry pre-orders and so 
that next batch of a thousand bottles went in less than three days because it was like, well, I've got orders to fulfill. Yeah. I've got people who are waiting. I've got Selfridges who are waiting for the next order. Um, never mind any of this international kind of interest. Uh, and then I made another thousand bottles. And by this time, it, it was sort of like, wow, this is maybe there's something here. Uh, and maybe the part-time intern is the wrong move. And maybe I need uh, to, do, to find a bottler. And maybe I need some investment and maybe mm. I need a team and maybe actually we can kind of go for this. Um, so yeah, I made another thousand bottles and they sold out on Selfridges website in 30 minutes. And <laughs> I, I remember going into Selfridges and, you know, back to the light hooker for a hug kind of stuff. Uh, nice to bring it back to yeah. there. I like that. I like what you did there, Ben. <laughs> no, I've got a memory like a sieve, but that, that one obviously, you know, stays in the mind. Um, and I went and talked to the spirits department and they were like, you're not going to believe this, Ben. We've had people queuing out the door for when we open to try and get a bottle. You know, and that, I'm the one that laughs the, the most on that. It's like, this is a non-alcoholic product uh, mm. and people are queuing out the door to come and get it. You know, what the hell? Yeah. Um, so yeah, first six months I found I found really tough. I wanted to stop and close the business every week. Mm. I didn't prepare for it. I wasn't expecting it. I wanted it to go how I wanted it to go, yeah. which was slowly. Mm. And hey, I've spent two years working on this. Now I just want to ease into it. Mm. And you know, suddenly I find myself practicing how to bartend at home because I've said yes to an event and an right. art gallery that wants me to serve drinks, and I'm taking a bag of ingredients and bottles to go and spend two hours one-to-one -one with Kate Moss teaching her how to make non-alcoholic cocktails because she keeps ordering cases off the website and you're like this is not what I kind of this is amazing but this is not I just yeah I was really just not prepared for it mm. and at the same time as people getting really angry that Seedlip existed people telling me that it was the stupidest idea they'd heard and that it would never sell a bottle and that, you know, what's the point and why have you done this and making mainly middle-aged men really angry, like really angry that this inanimate object that they didn't have to drink or kind of connect with existed. And you're like, wow, that's... I didn't know any of that side of it at all. Yeah. Really? Like standing there, you know, standing there, whether at events or whether sampling, and people getting angry that this existed. Um, and yet they have a choice whether to consume it or not. Yeah, bonkers. You don't it? need, you know, you don't have to associate Just with Just walk on. The best were the people that got angry, kept talking, you know, you engage the conversation and you kind of, you know, hopefully try and calm it down a bit or understand more. And then they're like, I mean, who, which fucking idiot came up with this idea? You know, who, <laughs> who's, who's employing you? Like, who's behind this? And you're like, um, <laughs> it's actually my company. I'm that idiot. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it is, um, yeah, there's a, you know, it's like drinking and socialising and going out is a really emotionally charged area. Mm. And, uh, and that's amazing to tap into because people care. Mm -hmm. They care what they drink. Uh, they don't think about what they're drinking all the time, but they, they care. They care about having a good time. Mm. Um, and tapping into that from a brand perspective and harnessing harnessing that, good or bad, I, I think is, yeah, can be really powerful. It's funny because I've hosted events where we've had people come along who are like launching a drink product, doing exactly what you're talking about, like sampling it there. And you think, wow, to go from from there as you were doing to then being in ridiculous number of countries and you were telling me your schedule before of literally going you know hong kong shanghai auckland sydney mm. san francisco la new york it's just like wow that's a fast forward yeah and actually if i i you know i was obviously pretty terrified about standing in front of the public and seeing what they thought mm. uh, i think i'd actually i'd be more terrified now than right. then and knowing that, what you know. <laughs> knowing what I know, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think I'll always be sensitive to uh 
wanting someone obviously to like the product and i've definitely built a thicker skin mm. when you get the guy that tells you it tastes like witch's piss you know as i did uh, that's another great quote. that's another great one isn't it you need these in like frames somewhere i feel <laughs> they are the, the hooker for a hug and the taste like witch's piss i can just see like my team going why is he talking about this yeah. this is not selling seed lip bend this is the new range that's coming out <laughs> Hug a hooker and witch's piss. Hookers <laughs> need hugs, though. <laughs> and look, um, appreciate you know you spending the time and coming down and meeting up in person because it, it makes massive difference. I, it does, I think, as well having yeah, a proper does. conversation. Um, I mean, uh, interesting to to hear uh, Diageo's involvement, which I knew, but I didn't know how much. Um, for you now, you know, what does, to, to finish up, what, what does your role look like now? And ultimately, you know, is there an end game? You know, it's interesting chatting to people like Al Barrett from Grenades, um, Richard Reed from, from Innocent and them telling me, you know, people making offers for the company from day one or like really late. Um, how does that affect, you know, your long-term ambitions with the brand? And again, what's your role kind of look like? Right yeah, I mean, I'm 39 in two weeks, um, you know, and I've spent my 30s, I guess, in this space, and I'm definitely not done yet. Um, there's so much still to do on Seedlip, and whether that's new product development and pipeline of kind of innovation, uh, whether that's uh, working with the teams in the markets, um, whether that's uh, the PR side, attending events. Um, you know, we've got an amazing partnership with the Natural History Museum Wildlife Photographer of the Year at the moment. That's so, cool. uh, you know, getting involved there, doing tours there mm. um, has been an exciting kind of part of my role, helping to, you know, we've got brand ambassadors in different countries, so keeping in regular dialogue with them. Um trying to keep my finger on the pulse of, you know, what's working, what's not working, what should we be doing better. Uh, talking a lot, obviously, to Diageo and to senior stakeholders um, about the focus on non-ALK, uh, mm. making sure that CLIP's a priority. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have maybe another couple of businesses either in the works or up the sleeve. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done yet. And I'm still... I'm still really excited by this just movement that's just right at the beginning mm. and knowing that there's so much more to do. You know, we're in 40 countries. There's 192 countries. I'm not saying that, you know, non-out needs to be in 192 countries, but, um, yeah, we're we're only just getting started. So there's loads still to do there. There's 47,000 edible plants to try and make my way through and play around with. Um <laughs> And yeah, I, I kind of, I'm still, I'm still really excited about the drink space. Love it. So that sounds like part two for the podcast then with the new business ideas. <laughs> and we, we never even got to talk about Acon, but I've interviewed Claire twice. So Claire's go been back. on here twice. <laughs> exactly. Go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> Claire's got a podcast as well. <laughs> exactly. She has indeed. <laughs> well, look, um, Ben Branson, thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. If you'd like to learn how to launch and grow your own number one rated podcast like this with zero experience, zero knowledge and zero tech skills, come and join me at ultimatepodcastmastery.com where I've just launched for a limited number of people brand new podcast membership course. So you'll get access to my ultimate podcast mastery membership course. You'll get my digital workbook, my progress sheet, my launch checklist, and all of the nitty gritty cheat sheets, templates, and scripts, the podpreneur way. You'll also get weekly live Q&A with me, exclusive WhatsApp group chat, and entry to my private Facebook group, as well as access to all my past interviews and trainings with special guests as well. This is available for a limited time for a limited number of people. 
So once it's gone, it's gone. But if you'd like to learn how to do exactly what I'm doing now, then I'll show you how. Head on over to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. <laughs>